school. He will always help me when I need work for school. My dad is amazing. My dad is so funny. Even though he's allergic, he let me get a bunny. My dad loves me a lot. He also loves his bike. And from a show called Stranger Things, he likes Eleven and Mike. My dad loves me a lot and I love him too. Even though when he farts, it smells like moldy fish stew. Thanks, Bethany. But I didn't write this to criticize all your embarrassing jokes. I know that you're far better than me, can fry eggs without breaking the yolks. So, Dad, I'd like to say, Happy Father's Day. You can fart, but I don't mind. I love you anyway. From Bethany. Oh. Well, it is, uh, it is Father's Day, so um, I thought I'd read that out to you. But just to remember how important um, fathers are. Uh, we don't really think about that much in our society nowadays, but you know, for most of uh, human society, for most of history, um, your father is really the way that you would identify yourself. Right? If you ask someone, who are you? The traditional answer for most traditional culture is, uh, I am so-and-so, the son of my father's name, from the clan of whatever. So I would be introducing you, uh, myself as I'm Peter, son of James, from the co-clan. Right? My whole identity would be tied to my family and especially my father. Um, but we even get that in, in modern surnames. It's actually reflected in a lot of uh, English surnames. So uh, Wilson means son of William. Yeah? <laughs> that, that's not the most um, insightful one I'll give you. Um, how about this one? Fernandez. Say it with me. Fernandez. Fernandez is son of Fernando. How about this one? Say, say, say it with me. Petrov. Petrov means of Peter. Right? Stefanovic means son of Stefan. And any Irish name with the O, like O'Connor, O'Donnell, that means of Connor, of Donnell. Uh, Scottish names, the Mac names, Mackenzie, McGee, right? That means son of Kenzie, son of, yeah, okay? So if I were Irish and you said, who are you? I would probably, I should introduce myself as, hi, I'm Peter Jameson. Right? That, that would be my Irish name, Peter Jameson, or Peter O'Call. That, that would ha- be how I introduce myself. Thank you, I practice all week, my Irish accent. It's funny seeing an Asian guy do Irish, isn't it? Um, in traditional cultures, it's because your identity is tied to your father, especially. Because the value there is family, where you're from, who you're from. But that's not how we would mostly introduce ourselves nowadays. Um, if you ask someone, who are you, like... You know, Dom asked Andrew there, who are you? He'd be like, what's your job? What's your profession? Where do you live? Okay, maybe where you went to school or where you work. Because the value for modern people is not so much family, but freedom, isn't it? So it's much more about who I choose to be. I'm defined by my choices, my work, my suburb, my career, my profession, and so on. All right. Now, if, if you've come from a migrant background, which a lot of us are, that you're kind of caught between these two. Like, do you ever feel that tension? Like your, 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 your parents' family, maybe from overseas, from traditional cultures, it's all about family. But then you come to Australia, grow up here, and it's all about freedom. And a lot of those things sometimes don't really mesh together very well. Well, the Jews of Jesus' day would have actually understood that, that tension. Because for them, it, it was both. I mean, there was the traditional Eastern Jewish-Palestinian culture, which would have been based on family, fatherhood, genealogy. But for Jews, their particular history and a lot of their identity came from the idea of being free. They saw themselves as a free people. 
even while they were ruled by different empires uh, at the time of Jesus, they were the Romans. But they still thought that they were free because God had freed them and they belonged to no one but God. So for them, it was both family and freedom or both East and West, if you like. Their identity like so many of us. Now you keep that in mind and, and then that passage that uh, I'm going to spend a little bit of time on that Grace read out to us. Hope you have it open. You can see why Jesus' words there in John chapter 8 would have just shaken them to their core. Because Jesus is really saying in those verses, both your points of identity are false. Right? Did you catch that? Both your ancestry, who your father is, and your sense of freedom, they're both false. Right? He's cutting off all of their identity and all of their security. Now, why does Jesus do that? Well, just a bit of a preview. Because Jesus wants to offer, not just to them, but to you today, to us. He wants to offer all of us a much stronger, firmer, secure identity. He wants to give us all a family and a freedom that's far more secure than the earthly ones you've got. And that's good news, isn't it? Because some of you find Father's Day pretty painful. Yeah? You don't know really where you belong. You may not have really known your dad, or if you do know your dad, you don't really want to know your dad because he was absent, he may have been abusive, he may have... You don't know who you are. Our family identities can come and go. You may not have ever had it. Or your freedom. Some, some of you feel really trapped. Some of you feel like you've made bad choices and you can't get out of it. Some of you feel like your whole life other people have made choices for you. Our freedom is not a good place to hang our identity. And what Jesus wants to say, look, no matter how your experience of family or freedom is I've come to give you both a family and freedom that no one can take away it's a much deeper more secure identity that's what he wants to give us today so I hope you're ready let's pray let's get into the passage oh Lord Jesus I pray that by your spirit you can speak to each person here you know and you've prepared each one of them to be here today Holy Spirit please come speak through me right into the hearts of those who are here in Jesus name amen our first quick point who is Jesus uh, John chapter 7 and 8 belong together. Last week we saw Jesus is at this special festival in Jerusalem called the Tabernacles. We won't go through that again. Uh, just to let you know, these whole two chapters, Jesus' identity is on the line, right? Jesus is in Jerusalem. The Jews, the Jewish authorities, they want to know who Jesus is. Is he the promised Messiah, the king that they've been waiting for? And if he is, or he claims to be, well, how do we know that's true? Like, how can we know that he can claim these things about himself? What authority does he use to back up his claim? Uh, where's uh, Elder Nelson? Nel, Nel, Nelda. Uh, there's a job going at Mission Australia, isn't that right? And the job is for a business intelligence anal data, data analyst. I don't know what that means. Business intelligence data analyst. Now, hypothetically speaking, say you wanted to apply for that job. So you go to Mission Australia, Nelson's company, and you say, I'm your guy or I'm your girl. Business intelligence data analyst. I'm that person, right? Give the job to me. What are they going to say next? They're going to say, well, prove it. Yeah, prove it. Now show me your resume. Give me your references. How do we know that you can be the person that you claim to be? Now, in Jesus' day, the resume is not on a piece of paper. His job experience, his resume is what family you're from. Well, what's your place of origin, right? That's, that's how you can back up your claim. So uh, let me show you. This is actually the, the, the bit 
immediately after the passage we looked at last week. If you were here with us last week, Jesus offers living water. Straight afterwards, on hearing his words, have a look at the screen, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said, he is the Messiah. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? That's where Jesus was from. Doesn't scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants, from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus, the people were divided because of Jesus. They want to know who Jesus is, but they also want to know where he was from, whether he was legit, whether he can claim the things about himself. A lot of you probably have seen this movie, yeah? Crazy Rich Asians. You remember? They're all trying to figure out right at the beginning, who is Rachel Chu? Rachel Chu, who's the new girlfriend of, or the longtime girlfriend of Nick Young. And they're trying to figure out who is Rachel Chu, mainly by... Does she come from the right family? So you remember, is Rachel from the Taiwan plastics chew? Or the Hong Kong telecom chews? Or the Malaysian peanut packing chews? All right? Because in Eastern culture, as I said, family, where you're from, matters a lot. And that was going to give her legitimacy. Of course, she didn't come from any of those families. The who is Jesus question was tied to where Jesus was from, who were his parents. Who was his father? How can he claim to be what he claims? Okay, so that's really just as a way of background. This whole chapter 7 and 8 is really with that question and those other questions of ancestry behind the scenes. But here's the thing, and here's where we get to the juicy bit that we're looking at today. As with a lot of times when the question is thrown onto Jesus or you feel like people are putting Jesus on trial, what does Jesus do? He turns the tables And so actually, this passage we just read isn't so much about who is Jesus, it's about who are the Jews, the people who are asking the who is Jesus question. He turns the tables on them. So I'm up to point number two, who are the Jews? Remember, for Jewish people, their identity was based on both family and freedom. We are Abraham's children. Therefore, we are free. We see that in verse 33. Now, you know that every nation, every country has its origin story. And your origin story will form your identity. So in America, right, one of their origin stories is, the, the, you know, the pilgrims. You, you may not know this if you're not American, but pilgrims escape persecution from England, Christian pilgrims. So they come to America across the Atlantic and they form new Christian communities. That's one of their origin stories. The other origin story for, you, for the U.S. is, of course, they became a nation by revolution, by fighting England. And it was about the ordinary person being able to take up arms against the king of England. So you understand those two things. You understand why in America there are two things that are valued that kind of don't seem to go together in in our minds. That is Christianity and guns. Yeah? Like a lot of us, like, why you guys have these crazy gun laws? Well, it's because of their origin story. Why is Christianity so important to conservatives? It's because of their origin story. Well, the Bible says that the Jewish nation was formed from two big events, right? For the Jewish people, the first big event is that God called their ancestor Abraham, just one man. And out of this one man that he called out of the foreign nations, he made promises to, out of this one man would form a new nation that belonged to God, their father Abraham. That was their first origin story. The second origin story is, of course, 400 years after the promises to Abraham, God took that people, which by then were millions, but they were in slavery. And through Moses, he rescues them out of slavery in Egypt and 
brings them to the promised land. Those two origin stories shows you why for Jews, Abraham being our father and we are free become the two cornerstones. But then look again at what Jesus is saying to them in this chapter, the bit that we read. Right? Abraham is our father, we are free. Jesus says, uh-uh, guess what? You are neither. Now the um, chapter is kind of, I mean, it's only a few verses, but it's a little bit, John is a little bit circular sometimes. So it's hard to get your head around what John is saying. He says one thing and then comes back to it. And um, if you studied at a community group this week, you might have found it hard to wrap your brains around. This is how I tried to summarize the logic of what Jesus is saying. And you'll see it skipping around all these different verses because it kind of goes in circles. But um, follow with me. Essentially, Jesus is saying, and this goes right back to um, the beginning of chapter 8 as well. Uh, Jesus is God's son, right? He's sent by God the Father to proclaim the truth. But the Jews, they reject the truth and they reject Jesus. And because they do that, they're not like Abraham. And therefore, they're neither Abraham's children or God's children. But in fact, their father, says Jesus, is the devil. Because that's the kind of thing the devil would do. Reject the truth. Reject God. And if their father is the devil, then they are slaves. Slaves to sin and not free. Alright, that's pretty much the argument of the chapter. Now, imagine hearing that as a Jew. Imagine how angry they would have been to hear that. Because Jesus is kind of pulling the rug from under their feet. Their whole national pride and identity gone. For a moment, pretend that you are a proud Aussie. Like my mate here. We'll call him Wayne. He doesn't actually exist. I found him on. Um, I mean, think about it. What is the Aussie identity built on? Our national identity is forged from survival stories, right? We're former convicts shipped unjustly shipped from England to a harsh land. Um, we're able to survive and build something out of nothing. So Aussies, we, our heroes are what? Bush Rangers, um, the Aussie Battler, uh, the Larrikin, right? Imagine Wayne, and he's a proud Aussie. And then imagine someone comes to Wayne and says, Wayne? Yeah, mate. Wayne, let me tell you who you really are. All right, tell me. Wayne, let me tell you, Australia is really built on the murder of Aborigines and the white Australia policy. You Aussies really are a bunch of violent, racist, bogan, lazy drunks. That's your history. That's who you really are. Wayne would be pretty upset, wouldn't he? Right? Now, Jesus is doing that to the Jews. Everything you're proud of. He reaches right into their identity and smashes it. You are not who you think you are. Right? All that you define yourself as is false. In reality, you're not the real children of Abraham. I mean, you might be descended from Abraham, but you're not like your father Abraham. You're of the devil. In reality, you think you're free, but you're not. You're slaves. That would have just rocked their world. But you know what? Jesus speaks the same truth to us as well. He's going to turn the question to us. Right? They thought it was about who is Jesus. No, it was actually about who is the Jews. But now to us, point number three, who are you? Who am I? See, when it comes to our identity markers, whether it's family, 
or whether it's freedom, what Jesus says to the Jews, he also says to all of us. Because you'll note um, verse 34 of chapter 8. Have a look again. What does he say? He says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. You see, Jesus is identifying a universal problem. doesn't matter if you're Jews, Aussies, Chinese, whatever. Everyone who sins, and the Bible says that's everyone, is a slave to sin. This is all of our problems. We're all slaves to sin. In the 14th century, true story, there was a duke in Belgium. His name was Reynald III. He was so fat, he was just known as Reynald the Fat. Um, brother, his brother Edward, younger brother, decided to stage a coup, revolution. So he won and imprisoned Reynald in a specially remade castle room. Uh, there were no chains, there were no bars on the windows, no locks on the doors. What Edward did, though, was he made the doorway smaller and the windows slightly smaller. Now, for any normal-sized person, you could have just squeezed through the doorways or out the window. And so all that Reynald needed to do was to lose weight. But you see, Edward made sure that Reynald wouldn't lose weight. How? Every day, he supplied his older brother with the best of foods. It was a buffet every meal. And so Reynald, rather than losing weight, just got fatter and fatter and fatter, and he couldn't get out. Ten years later, after Edward died, they had to break down the walls to get Reynald out, but by then he was so unhealthy he died shortly afterwards. Reynald, you see, was a slave to his appetite. You could say he was imprisoned by his own love of food. Well, guess what? This is how the Bible, how Jesus pictures sin. Everyone who sins is imprisoned by it, is a slave to it. Now, of course, you hear that like me, and immediately you want to think, no, that's offensive. I mean, how can you say that? I'm not a slave to sin. Okay, I'm not perfect. I know I sin, but I'm no slave. It's a bit extreme. Well, if you met someone who says, I'm not an alcoholic, but I can't go a week without getting wasted a few times. Now, what would you say? You'd probably say, ah, you might have an alcohol problem. You, you actually could be an alcoholic. Right? If you can't go a week without getting drunk a few times a week, then you're probably a slave to your habit, to alcohol. Well, let me ask you the question. Can you go a day or even a week without lying? Or at least bending the truth, you know? White lies. Can you? Can you go a week without having lustful thoughts over someone who isn't your spouse, someone you're not married to or not married to yet? Can you go a day or even a week without losing your patience and losing your temper? See, we, we, we'd like to say, no, I'm not a slave to sin, but our records show otherwise, don't they? Paul says in Romans 7, I am unspiritual on the screen, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Has that been your experience? 
so many sins and habits. You just don't want to do it. You know it's wrong. But you do it anyway. What does that make you? Who's in control, really? Isn't that all of our experience? Now, Jesus wants to ask us all this afternoon, will we accept or reject his diagnosis, his words, his truth about our desperate situation? Because he, he, he brought the same truth to the Jews back in John 8, and they couldn't accept the truth. Remember, they rejected the truth and rejected Jesus. Now, the tragedy of that isn't just that they now rejected the truth, or that because they rejected Jesus and the truth, they will go away and want to kill Jesus, their own Messiah. I mean, that's tragic in itself. But I'll tell you what the real tragedy is. The biggest tragedy is because, well, what else does Jesus say? Have a look at verse 32. What, what did Jesus say there in verse 32? The truth will set you free. And look what else he says in verse 36. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You see, Jesus doesn't reveal our problem to shame us. He doesn't reveal the truth about the fact that we're slaves to sin and the devil to keep us down. He reveals it to us so that he can free us. When the Jews don't recognize their problem, they can't recognize the solution either. Unless Jesus rips away your identity markers, he can't give you a better identity. Right? He, he's not trying to make you feel and stay insecure. He wants to give you something better to make you secure forever. And unless we realize the truth about ourselves, our relation to sin, our relation to freedom, we'll never be able to receive what he wants to give us. And look what Jesus does give us in Hebrews 2. And this is how he gives us what we need, the freedom. Hebrews 2 says, Since the children, that's us, have flesh and blood, he, Jesus, too, shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. And here it is, free those who all their lives were held in slavery. Slavery by Satan, slavery by sin, and slavery, it says there, by their fear of death. See, by Jesus' death, he trades places with us. The Son trades places with slaves. So you might know the book or the movie, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You remember that for Edmund, one of the main characters who was um, enslaved by the white witch, in order for him to be set free, what, what had to happen? Well, Aslan, the great lion, had to offer himself to trade places with Edmund. That's how Edmund was freed. Now, you may already know that C.S. Lewis, the writer of the Narnia Chronicles, that lion winch in the wardrobe, he's a Christian. And, and Aslan is meant to be a picture of Jesus. And Edmund is meant to be a picture of us. And the white witch is, of course, the devil. Jesus, who was free, was made subject to the devil and subject to death by his own choice. He who was without sin takes our sin in our place and swaps with us on the cross. And so by the trading of places with us, he dies the death that we deserve to die. 
and so breaks the power that the devil has over us. Right? That's how it works. That's how the Son frees us. But then he also rose again three days later. Why? To defeat death once and for all. And because he does this, he trades places with you and me. You remember we started off as slaves, slaves to sin, slaves to the devil. Well, if he's traded places with us and he's the son, what does that mean? Well, it means that we now get to be sons and daughters of God the Father, just as he is. So you see, what Jesus does in one fell swoop, and this is why, again, Jesus reveals the truth about our problems so that he can give us something so great. Because in one fell swoop, Jesus secures what? Both our family and our freedom, doesn't he? All those things that form our identity, that the Jews thought formed their identity. Right? All those things Jesus does and gives us by his death and resurrection. We become children of God, family, and we get set free from slavery. Now I want you to know that no matter who you are and what your journey up to now has been, you can have this. You can have this by today deciding to trust in Jesus, by asking Him into your life to follow Him. He can set you free. He can make you a child of God, a son, a daughter of the King of Kings. You can have that. And if that's you, don't hesitate. Come and speak to myself, Pastor Dom, Pastor Marshall. Come and discover Jesus more if you want to find out more. But you can have that today. What if you're already a Christian? What if you're already a child of God? Anything for you? Anything for me? Well, have a look at this. Uh, the first verse of the bit that we read. Chapter 8, verse 31. Who is Jesus talking to? Did you notice this? Who is Jesus talking to? It says there, to the Jews who had... Say it with me. What's the word? To the Jews who had believed him. Wow, did you notice that? This whole time he was speaking to them. Right? Not to the Pharisees. Not to the authorities who wanted to arrest Jesus. Not to his enemies who wanted to kill him. He was speaking to believers. Wow. In the Gospel of John, lots of times, John highlights those who believe in Jesus but they don't let that belief change their lives. And I think that's really important for us to hear too. Because for many Christians, it's not that you're not free. It's just that you don't live in light of that freedom. You don't live out that freedom. In other words, you are sons, but you live as slaves. You are princes and princesses, but you live as paupers. It just means de- uh, beggar. So you know how they um, keep circus elephants. When the circus gets an elephant, it's a baby elephant. They keep the baby elephant chained up. And of course, the baby elephant grows up. And by the time the baby elephant uh, is no longer a baby, it's a full-size elephant. It's actually mostly able to break those chains. If it wanted to, it could break the chains and run away. But it never does. Why doesn't it? Because it still thinks the chain is bigger than it. It can't get out of the slave mentality because it'd been chained up since it was a baby elephant. Now, here's the thing. If you're a Christian, the devil no longer owns you. But one what the devil can do, he can deceive you. He can lie to you. He does that by making you forget 
who your daddy is. And what security and confidence and freedom and victory that brings. That's what he does. He makes you think like the elephant thinks, that that chain is still there and enough to hold you down. Now, I wonder how many of you have actually been to Washington, D.C. and visited the White House. Hands up, White House. Wow, well-traveled people. There's only like one person at Kingsgrove this morning. Um, anyone take the tour and actually manage to be on one of the days where they take you into the Oval Office? No one's been in the... You've been to the Oval Office. Wow, Mary's been to the Oval Office. Good work. Now, how, how many of you can imagine, hey, I'll go to the Oval Office anytime I want, you know? Anytime I want. So I've got some uni work. I'm going to bring my laptop in and just work on the Resolute desk. Right? I, I feel like I just need a place to hang out with my friends. So I'll bring my friends to the Oval Office. Those couches look nice. We'll just go and have a party there. Like, you can't imagine doing that, right? Even on a White House tour, you don't always get to go to the Oval Office. Right? You and I can't do that. But I'll tell you who can. Let me show you a famous photo. Seen this photo before? There's President John F. Kennedy. But look who's under his desk just hanging around, playing with his toys. We couldn't do that, could we? Just walk in, the Oval Office, right? Whatever the president's doing, just decide to do our own thing, just right under his desk or even in the room. No, we can't. But I'll tell you who can. John F. Jr., John F. Kennedy Jr. can, and that's who's under the desk. His own son can. Because what you and I don't get to do, the son of the president does get to do. Well, as cool as it is being the son of a president, you know who your daddy is, don't you? If you're a follower of Jesus, who is your daddy? You know me, a president of the United States, right? He's the one who created the president of the United States and the universe. God is your daddy. Look at the words of Jesus from John 15 later on. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. You're friends with the Son of God. For everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. But let's go a step further. Look at the next passage, Galatians 4. Because you are His sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into your heart. The Spirit who calls out Abba, which is just their language for Daddy. Daddy. Jesus says to you, if you're a follower of Jesus, he says to you today, you are no longer a slave, but a son. He says to you, the truth has set you free. And he says to you, if the son sets you free, then you are free indeed. Now, my question is this. Imagine what would change this very week, just this coming week, if we only would live that identity out. Can you imagine just everything you did, lived that identity out? I'm a son and I'm free. Imagine living that out every single moment of this coming week. I mean, what would happen the next time this week when you're tempted by that habitual sin? You know, the sin that's tripped you up a hundred times, a thousand times. Rather than feeling ashamed and defeated because of all the times you've already failed, what if you faced it instead from your new identity? And you told yourself these truths. I am a child of God, and God does not hold my failures against me. My Father loves me, and my Father is better than what this sin promises. 
And what if you told yourself, I'm free. I'm no longer slaves to sin. I can choose not to sin. Jesus is already victorious over it. He gives me his spirit. I don't have to fight for victory. I can fight from his victory. Or what would happen if this week you, 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 you claimed and stood in that identity when you prayed? Would you only pray routine prayers, safe prayers? You know, I don't want to pray too big a prayer, God, because I don't want to get disappointed. So I'm not going to pray anything that's too hard for you. Do you pray like that? That's not praying as a son, is it? It's not even praying as a friend. What if we did pray as sons and daughters of the king? Wouldn't our prayers be bolder? Wouldn't our prayers be more confident? Wouldn't you pray prayers for others knowing that I have God's ear in a way that people who don't know God don't. And I'm going to come on their behalf to speak to my daddy. And because he's my daddy, he's going to listen. And it's going to make a difference. Like, do you pray like that? And wouldn't you then begin to truly step into powerful, supernatural prayers? Like forget the safe prayers that are just about saving you from disappointment. Right? Our, our world doesn't need those prayers. Our world needs supernatural prayers of people, sons and daughters who are willing to intercede for nations. Yeah? Because the problems of the nations are much bigger than the safe prayers could ever reach into. Wouldn't you start praying those kind of prayers? Why? Because you're the son and the daughter of the king of kings. And what would happen if this week you stepped into your identity the next time you heard those voices in your head? You know those voices, don't you? You've heard them before. Oh, you'll never be good enough. Oh, you'll never be happy. In fact, you don't deserve to be happy. God doesn't love you. You don't deserve his love or anyone's love. You should just give up. Like what if you face those voices and you call them out from your new identity? I'm a child of God. I am loved. Jesus died for me. I am accepted. I am precious and I am free. I'm free from the devil's slavery and the devil's lies. Because you know that's where those voices are coming from, right? What if you stepped into your identity and faced those lies head on? And you would take those lies of the devil and you just take it and you throw it right back at him. And the next time his bony accusing finger is pointed at you, what do you do? You go right up to it, you take his finger, you grab it and you break it. Yeah? Because who are you? If the Son has set you free, then you are free indeed. Your daddy is God. You belong to him. You are free. Let's get the band up. Get ready to sing. Let's pray.